Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of Code Newbie. And I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. So today we finished chapter six of Pat Shaughnessy's Ruby Under a Microscope, and we're going to be learning all about constant lookup. And by the way, that's six chapters out of 12. Go us. Ooh. Very nice. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Ruby Book Club. And if you're reading along and you're on Twitter, tweet at us and let us know what you think of the book so far. We'd love to hear from you. How did you find this week's reading? It was good. It was good. I like that it was a continuation of the way we've been doing things in the past where we give a very clear problem of this is what we're doing, but why are we doing it and what's the issue? And then we build up to an example and, and all that. So I really enjoyed it. It was good. How about you? Exactly the same. Really enjoyed it. Now, this book has always been great and Pat is great, but I did find myself thinking, has Pat gotten better at writing whilst whilst writing this book? (laughs) But Pat, you've always been amazing in case you're listening, but I honestly feel like it's just jumped up a level. Yes, I completely, I really want to know the behind the scenes of writing this book because yeah, we say that every week, every week we're like, this is getting better, this is different, and it just continues to be that. So I'm very curious about what happened. Maybe he took a little break and, you know, took a little vacation, came back and was like, all right, let's go. Or do you remember when we interviewed him? He hadn't written a book before, right? He just decided to write mm-hmm. a book yeah, yeah. because he wanted to learn about Ruby and Turtles. And so right. maybe through writing it, he did get better if indeed he didn't yeah. write the chapters in order. Who knows? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Cool. So today we are starting with Constant Lookup. So Constant Lookup, for me, when I read just the, the name of this section, I thought, yeah, cool. We've talked about classes, modules. Naturally, we're going to talk about constants. But the first thing that Pat talks about is how... Like maybe it's not really even important to talk about constants because when you compare it to classes and modules, we don't often explicitly declare constants. They're not quite as important as classes and modules and the other things that we're talking about. So that kind of, I don't know what your reaction was that when I read that, I thought, oh yeah, why do we care about this? Exactly the same. At first I saw the title, I was like, oh yeah, it makes sense. Then I thought, oh yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I actually, I had Wait, a moment of, do we not use them that often? Oh, I guess we don't. Mm. Yeah. The other thought I had was that when he said, why study constant lookup? I thought, oh, great, because something that we've been talking about a lot is we found many of the things we've covered really interesting, but it hasn't been quite clear as to why it's important. So I thought, oh, maybe we're going to find out more about how this is going to help us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so Pat talks about how even though we may not explicitly use constants the way that we do classes and modules, every time we define a class or module, we are defining a constant. And I was like, oh, yeah, we do use constants a lot, even if it's not intentionally using them. But also, I didn't know what that meant until later. Hmm, Did you know what that meant straight away? Well, I I thought it meant like literally when we define a class, we are defining a constant because classes are also constants, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm a bit confused now. <laughs> yeah. Just well, when I read that, so when I read that, I was thinking, oh, yeah, if you try to call a model that doesn't exist, the error that it'll give you is not this class is not defined, it's undefined constant. So when I read that, I thought, oh, yeah, every time we declare a class or a module, we're also declaring a constant, at least from Ruby's perspective. And so we are always using them. Oh, yeah, that does sound obvious now but it wasn't until later on and we're going to get to it Mm. when he shows a particular diagram that I thought oh that's what he meant as opposed to Mm. oh yeah when we go class 
cake that is mm-hmm. defining a constant. I think this might be the first time in Ruby Book Club history that I got something before you did. I'm and I'm sure. so proud of myself. <laughs> I'm, I'm so proud. This is a big moment for me. I'm pretty sure that's not true. I'm sure there are many times. <laughs> there are many times when I make stuff up because I'm like, oh, it must be this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> so the other reason, the other reason why we're going to talk about constants is because it is very central to how Ruby works internally. And we're going to see what that looks like a little bit later as well. So the next section is called finding a constant in a superclass, which I'm now appreciating is kind of a weird title, but it I guess it makes sense given the example that we're about to walk through. So for listing 6-18, we have some code. We start with class, my class. And then in there, we have a constant called some constant, and it's set to the string some value dot 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 end. So we just closed our my class class. And then we have a new class called class subclass inheriting from my class. And in there, the only thing we're doing is we are printing the some constant constant, and then we end. So here we look at figure six. 20 to figure out what this looks like internally, what my R class structures are like, where my pointers are pointing to, that sort of thing. So here we're going to start at the bottom of the diagram with an R class structure for subclass. And in there we have a superclass pointer and that's pointing to the my class R class structure. So we have an arrow going from that to the R class structure for my class. And in that structure, we have a constants table. And there we see listed some constant, which is the name of the constant that's defined in my class. Cool. So now we ask the question, how does Ruby find a constant in the parent namespace? So we're now going to look at a different way to define a constant. And we see that in example 6-19. So we have module namespace. Then we define some constant equals some value, just like in the last example. Mm -hmm. And then we define a new class. So we have class subclass. And inside that class, we do P some constant, and then we do end for the class and end for the module. And so the problem that Pat presents us is that given that we're trying to print some constant in subclass, but it's defined in a module, how do we find it? So we have figure 6-21 that illustrates diagrammatically what the problem is. So starting at the bottom, we've got the R class structure for subclass and the superclass is object because we've defined no superclass and so it just defaults to the object class. And then we have an arrow pointing upward which ends at a question mark. And floating above that is the R class for the namespace module. And inside there, there's a constants table which has some constant. So the question is, how does the R class structure for subclass get to that constants table in the R class structure for namespace? And so this is where we bring in the concepts of a namespace chain and lexical scope. So lexical scope, and I'll just read from the book, refers to a section of code within the syntactical structure of your program rather than within the superclass hierarchy or some other scheme. So it's basically saying when you're looking at the code on the page and how it's structured, that's looking at different lexical scopes. So when we, so we have example 6-20 and we, sh- we have the code class, my class, and then inside the class, we set a constant, some constant to some value. 
And so Pat says, so this code tells Ruby, create a new class called my class. So create a new copy of the R class structure that's mapped to my class, but also define a new scope or a new syntactical section of the program. And so we've got figure 6-22 to illustrate this. And we see the same code, but this time there's a gray box around some constant equals some value to show the lexical scope. And so it's really helpful, Pat says, if we start to think of our Ruby programs as these series of scopes. And so for each module or class that we create, there is always a new scope, and there's also another default one for the top level lexical scope. And how do we keep track of these? So it's our favorite thing, pointers. So what Ruby does is we've got pointers within the YARV instructions that correspond to the different scopes. And we see these in figure 6-23. So we've got, I'll start from the left. We've got the class, my class, and then some constant equals some value end. And the some constant equals some value bit is in a grayed out box representing the scope. But there's an extra section added to the right of this gray box and it's got two bits of text. One says nd underscore next and the one underneath says nd underscore class. So these are two pointers and these pointers are almost metadata to the lexical scope information. So we've got nd next, which is the pointer to the parent scope. And in this case, because there's no other scope defined with the my class definition, it points to the top level scope. And then we've got the nd underscore class pointer, and that's spelled CLSS. And that indicates which Ruby class or module you are currently in with the current Ruby code. And so because we're talking about the my class class, the nd underscore class pointer points to the R class structure for my class. Okay, so I have two questions. Yeah, I have two questions here. One Pushing is, <laughs> one is, do we know what nd stands for? You know what? I was thinking as I read it, oh, I want to find out what it stands for. I was like, is it like next domain or namespace something? But I completely forgot to Google it. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. I just want to make sure I didn't miss that. Yeah, I'm just going to have a quick look. So I can't really find anything from a quick Google, but there is a lot of the use of the word node around ND, mm. uses of ND in different web pages I found. So maybe it stands for node. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So my other question is, where is this lexical scope thing happening? Because so far, at least in this chapter, everything has kind of been happening within our class structures, but this gray box with like the dotted line i'm kind of really sure what that is is that you know what i mean like did we did I we think talk about what that is yeah i think it's attached to the yav instructions so if you look at page okay. 158 there's a bit that says Ugh, we attach a couple those. of pointers to the yav instructions and i think this is one example where pat's not putting ah. everything on the page but i bet okay. it's with the local table staff and all those kind of things there's also these pointers which refer to the scope okay cool cool so next, we're going to look at creating a constant for a new class or module. So Pat tells us that whenever we create a new class or module, Ruby automatically creates a corresponding constant and saves it in the class or module for the parent lexical scope. So By the way, look at, yeah. when I read that sentence, I was like, I don't understand it. But then by the end of the diagram, I was like, oh, this makes complete sense. Yeah. Okay, I guess you understand. Yeah, figure 624. 
I was trying to think. Oh, yeah. Figure 624 did not make sense to me until he broke it down on the next page. Ah, Secret figure 624. I was like, because I actually have a thing that says, like, when you declare a new class, it's like, well, which which one is the sec is the ND class? Like, is that talking about the class by class? But what happened to the module namespace? Like, doesn't that get its own thing? Like, I was confused about what part of things because we're creating multiple things here, and I was right. confused as to what part it was corresponding to. So yeah, I'm really glad he broke it down. So you know the bit where it says there's it says class my class in Figure Six twenty four, and there's a dotted mm-hmm. arrow to a constants table that says. And, and inside it, there's a line that now says my yeah. class. The bit that you yeah. understood was, yes, somewhere that my class goes into a constants table, right? Yes. Yeah, that's the yeah. connection I wasn't making. Ah, got you, got you. Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we are going to look at figure 6-24, which shows us the relationship between making a new class, a new module, what happens with the lexical scope, and what happens with Ruby internally, knowing that we just made a new constant and how that all talks to each other. So 6-24, we start on the left with module namespace end. And then within that, everything is in a gray box. So in that gray box, we have some constant, which is the constant equals the string some value dot dot dot. And then underneath that, we have class my class end. And to the right of that, we have the lexical scope stuff that we had in the previous figure as well. So we have nd underscore next, and that's pointing to top level. Below that, we have nd underscore class, that's CLSS, and that's pointing to the R class structure for namespace module. And in that R class structure, we have the table for constants, some constant, and we also have it for my class, because by defining my class in module namespace, we've also created a constant for it. And then we have that my class in the constants table pointing to the R class structure for my class. So far, makes sense. And then we have two dotted arrows coming from class my class. So we have one pointing to the my class in the constants table, and then we have the other arrow pointing to the R class structure. So to me, what was confusing was in the... I guess caption for figure 624, it says, mm-hmm. when you declare a new class, Ruby creates a new R class structure and defines a new constant set to the new class's name. So to me, the part that was a little confusing was I assume declaring a new class meant class my class, but I was also thinking, what about the module namespace? Because we also just created that. So, you know, that's that's a constant too, right? Like what happens with that? So that's the part that kind of ah. made me a little, yeah, I was kind of like, what about namespace? I guess that's in the top namespace. level. And it's the same Mm -hmm. thing happening on different levels, and he's just focusing on Mm -hmm. one example. Yeah, and the next part really cleared it up when Pat does an awesome job of just walking us through exactly what happens and the order in which it happens, because you know I love having order in my explanations. So he says, first, Ruby creates a new R class structure for the new module or class, as shown at the bottom. So in this example, we're talking about that R class structure for my class. Then Ruby creates a new constant using the new module or class name and saves it inside the class corresponding to the parent lexical scope. So when we saw that there was that pointer from the my class in the constants table pointing to the R class structure for my class, that's what Pat is talking about. 
And then we talk about how the new class, that my class structure, gets its own new lexical scope, and we move into figure 6-25. And 6-25, when I first saw it, I was like, oh God, this escalated so fast. But once we actually <laughs> broke it down and looked at it, it wasn't it wasn't as bad as it could have been, as it initially looked anyway. I love 6-25. Yeah? Yeah. It really, uh, I don't like the never-ending connection of boxes. That makes you very uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, but, but it does actually make sense. So here we have all the same stuff we had in figure 6-24. So we have our modulated namespace. We have our sum constant equals the string sum value. Next to that, we have our lexical scope with the nd underscore next and the nd underscore class. That nd underscore class is pointing to the R class structure for namespace module. In that R class structure, we have we have a constants table for some constant and my class. My class is pointing to the R class structure for my class. So, so far, it's the same stuff. But the big difference is now we've pulled out class my class and highlighted the fact that it now has its own lexical scope. So in that lexical scope, it has its own nd underscore next pointer, which points back up to the lexical scope for the module namespace. And then it has its own nd underscore class pointer, which points to the R class structure for my class. So now we move into the next section called finding a constant in the parent namespace using lexical scope. And so now we go back to the example that we looked at earlier. So example 6-19, but it's repeated in example 6-21. So just to quickly go over it, we've got module namespace, some constant equals the string, some value, dot, 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 class, subclass, P, some constant, end, end. And so Pat reminds us that we couldn't use the super pointers that we saw in figure 6-20 six, six in this example because namespace is not a superclass of my class. So what we're now going to see is that what happens is that Ruby uses the nd underscore next pointers to iterate through the program's lexical scopes. So then we have figure 6-26, which is pretty much the same as figure 6-25, the one that you just went over, Saran. But the difference is we see inside the lexical scope for my class, we now see the code for P some constant. And I think that Pat wants us to focus here on the, the chain of nd underscore next pointers. So mm -hmm. what actually happens when we run this code? So first Ruby looks for the value of some constant in the current scope. So that's for my class and there is no nothing in the constants table because nothing's defined in there. And so then Ruby goes and looks at the next lexical scope or the parent lexical scope, finding it by using the nd underscore next pointer. So we move up into the namespace and now we check the constants table here and we find the constant that we're looking for. So then we have a flowchart, love flowcharts, in figure 6-27, which shows how we iterate over the lexical scope. And so the first box in this flowchart says set CREF to current lexical scope. And I've got a note here that says, do you remember CREF, Saron? Oh, Lord. Do you remember when we were like, what is this? And yeah. <laughs> I don't remember what it is, but I, I felt confusion when I saw it. I was like, oh, oh, oh. It was when we were looking at the um it was when we were looking at the 
there were these things that were mapped to the YARV instructions. They were like control frames. That was it. Control frames. And each ah, control yes. frame had a CREF. And this is why. Because for each scope, there was a new control frame. So therefore, there's a new pointer to identify the lexical scope. Anyway, so the first thing we do is set CREF to the current lexical scope. Then the next thing we do is look through the constant table for the CREFs class. So the, in the current scope, do we have anything in the, const, in the constant table? And then we've got a decision, so do we have we found the constant? If it's not found, we set the CREF to the parent lexical scope, and then we go back round to look through constant table for CREF's class. And if the constant is found, then we're done. And so Pat points out to us that this is very similar to figure 6-3, which I think we discussed mm-hmm. a couple of episodes ago, where it's the method lookup algorithm when we're using the super pointers. But... Pat makes the point that this is only part of the story because we know when we looked at figure 6-20 that Ruby also uses superclass pointers to look up constants as well. And so mm-hmm. now the question is, how does all of this tie together? This is where we enter experiment 6-2. Which constant will Ruby find first? <laughs> I love the inherent adventure in this reading, it's like, oh, we're going to do this thing, but how can we possibly do it? Okay, now we have this tool, but yes. those are conflicting. <laughs> it was like a proper storytelling. It was wonderful. Yeah, yeah, I really liked it. It was fun. So now we're going to look at this experiment, and we've got example 6-22, where we've got a bit of code which includes superclass and a module namespace. And so the question is, does Ruby search the lexical scope chain first or does it search the superclass chain first? Now, before I go over the code, I want to ask you, Saran, what's your guess? Because I'm going to explain my thought process to you because I wanted to think first about what I thought would happen. Same. I thought it would inherit from the superclass. Well, I thought it would have the found in superclass. I just assumed that the superclass would be more important than the module. So that's what that's what I guessed. What about you? So I thought lexical scope first because I was thinking in terms of like a hierarchy and I thought, well, the first thing you do is you check like your vicinity. So what's like on, what's in your sort of realm in terms of the lexical scope. It's almost like the sec 2D. It's like the flat dimension, like what's here before we go up to another mm-hmm. dimension. But then when I looked at the code that's coming up, I had a bit of doubt because I was like, hmm, when you read the code and you see class, subclass, the next thing you see is the inheritance before you get to the next namespace. That's why. So I had a moment of doubt, but then I was like, no, I'm going to stick to my guns. (laughs) Now let's find out what happened. Well, you won. Oh my, you you just did a spoiler for everyone listening. (laughs) What if they haven't read this yet? (laughs) (laughs) They shouldn't be listening to this episode. That's why. (laughs) Okay, so in the example, the code reads class, superclass, and then we have a constant defined. You see, even this is storytelling. The the constant is Mm -hmm. called find me, and it's set to the string found in superclass, and then we close the superclass with an end. Then we define a module called parent lexical scope and we define again the same constant find me and this time it's set to found in parent lexical scope. Then we open up another module and that's called child lexical scope and inside that module we define a new class called class subclass 
That inherits from superclass that we defined right at the beginning. And inside the subclass class, we do P find me. And then we do end, 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 closing the subclass, the child lexical scope module, and the parent lexical scope module. And so, as you can see, we've defined find me twice. And so when we run this code, the question is, are we going to see found in superclass or are we going to see found in parent lexical scope? And what happens, Saron, since you spoiled it for everyone already? <laughs> we find it in the parent lexical scope. So you were correct. Yay! <laughs> and we're back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> So now we can see from that example that Ruby looks through the lexical scope chain first. So what Pat does, which I really appreciate, is he goes back to that sample code and he comments out the find me constant definition in the parent lexical scope. And so when he does that, there's really only one place where we are defining find me, which is in the superclass. And when that happens and we run the code again, what we end up printing for find me is found in superclass. And I appreciate this because he totally didn't need to do that, mm -mm. but he did. Like it was an extra step just to solidify it, you know, make sure it's really reinforced and clear and there's absolutely no questions. So I really just appreciated that he took that step to, to do that. So next, we're going to talk about Ruby's actual constant lookup algorithm. And the first word in this reading is unfortunately. And immediately I thought, oh, God, because <laughs> everything was was so simple and made sense and mm. very logical and just built on itself and is so great. And I thought, oh, Lord, we're about to undo everything, aren't we? And we so pessimistic. Do, I know. <laughs> That's like, this is where Pat betrays me. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is the part where I think you said this maybe a couple episodes ago where you said, you know how you learn all the yeah. stuff in science and then you get a little bit older and then the science teacher is like, well, actually, that's not how anything yeah. works. Uh, this, this felt like it was going to be one of those moments. It's not too bad, mm. but we do have to modify our mental model a little bit. So we look at figure 6-28, and here we are revisiting our diagram of how Ruby actually does the lookup. And so we start with search through lexical scope chain. And then that kind of branches off and says, for each scope's class, check for auto load, which sounds familiar, but I don't remember talking about it recently. So that was kind of new. And then we have an arrow that kind of goes back to the main flow and says, search through superclass chain. And then we have an arrow that's bent off a bit again that says, for each superclass, check for auto load. So still checking for auto load, but this time we're checking it in the superclass instead of for each scopes class. And then we go back to our main flow and we end with call const missing. So here, Pat goes into this a little bit by saying that Ruby is still iterating, you know, using the same type of behavior that we talked about before. But one of the big things here is this keyword called autoload, which instructs it to open and read in a new code file if a given constant is undefined. And he puts in parentheses that this is a big part of the Rails framework, and Rails uses autoload to allow you to load models, controllers, and other Rails objects without having to use require explicitly. So here we see that Ruby is looping through the entire lexical scope chain. And if it doesn't find a given constant or the autoload keyword, then it iterates over the superclass chain. And so this made me think when it says it iterates through all the lexical scope, if we have 
you know, 10 nested module class definitions, you know, and we have like 10 different lexical scopes, we're going through each and every one of those before we touch the superclass chain. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yes. That feels so weird. <laughs> Doesn't that feel so, it's so weird. It makes me wonder like what the, what the thinking is behind that, what the logic is behind that. Because the way I thought it was going to work was it was going to like go up one lexical scope, then switch over to superclass, <laughs> then go up another. Like I thought it was kind of, kind of going to go on the same, stay on the same level, if that makes sense. But it's so weird to me that it kind of goes off on this adventure with one thing and then comes back home and says, ah, couldn't find any berries. Let's try this totally different direction. I think I have a different mental model of the difference between mm. the lexical scope and the superclass. Because for me, I see the lexical yeah. scope as very 2D. It's like what's on the paper flat. And then mm. a layer on top is the is the superclass. So it's almost like as if you're in a, ho- a hotel mm. and you're on floor one and you check all the rooms. And then like you go up a floor to floor two and you okay. check all the rooms. Yeah. That's how I visualize it. I think that probably would be a better visualization for me. <laughs> so I'm going to steal that. <laughs> so in your mind, like going to a different floor is a further journey or a bigger step yes. than going next door, basically. And that's why I had the hunch that lexical scope was found first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, I just saw them as two different floors, just like going to the left instead of going to the right, you know, or like going up instead of going down. You know, it's still the same work, just different directions. But I like yours better. I'm going to look at it that way. Cool. And then we end with calling constant missing. And so Pat says that Ruby calls the constant missing method on your module if you provided one, which I was confused by because if you try to call a constant that you have not defined or you know, a class you haven't defined, then Ruby gives you the constant missing method. It says initialize constant and then you know, the name of the thing that you tried to get. So I assume what Pat means is that that's the default constant missing method mm. that you get with Ruby. But if you, you know, if you actually want to define your own on that module, then it'll call that instead. I'm assuming that's what that means. Um, but you do get that initialized constant um, return if you don't have a constant defined. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's probably similar to the whole method missing thing where it's built in somewhere, mm-hmm. but you could always define it yourself if you want to get something right. different behavior. Yeah. Or a, help, a more helpful error message, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So that wraps up chapter six. That was and a so, great chapter. Yes, it was a great chapter. And I even think just that last section was almost a chapter all about constant lookups was mm-hmm. basically a chapter within a chapter. It was like its own little story. And so a nice little package of knowledge. And so I really enjoyed it. And in the summary, Pat talks about the two very different ways that we look at a Ruby program, whether it's looking at it via superclasses or through lexical scopes. And so he says, Ruby uses different sets of C pointers to keep track of these two trees as it executes your program. So we've got the super pointers, which we find in our R class structures for the superclass tree. And we've got the, we've got the ND underscore next pointers from the lexical scope structures, which form the namespace or lexical scope trees. And through these, we looked at two very important algorithms, how we look up methods and how we look up constants. 
So we've got the superclass tree for the methods and we use both the superclass tree and the lexical scope tree for constants. And at this point, Pat says, understanding the method and constant lookup algorithms is essential. They allow you to design your program and organize your code using these two trees in a way that is appropriate for the problem you are trying to solve. So at this point, I thought, yay, we've got a little bit more on how it actually helps. But I'm still at the point where if you're having to think too hard about how you structure modules and constants, because, okay, so think about the examples that we did there. You're, to, to get the points across, we had to define the same methods across different classes or the same constants across different modules and constants. Mm-hmm. And I, I keep going back to, if you're writing really good Ruby, then these things will typically exist in one place and so you shouldn't really be worrying about you know which order you load your module or which constant am I going to find first because in how many cases do you have the same constant defined across different classes do you know what I mean yeah yeah exactly hopefully you're not doing that yeah I feel like it's useful just for a a way to illustrate how things are working but I think it's a totally different conversation of now why are you defining find me across like mm-hmm. <laughs> three different <laughs> modules. Yeah. What, what's going on there? Yeah, I think it's just a learning exercise, but I would love to see how that would apply, should apply, could apply to the real world. Yeah. And so Pat says they may seem very different, but really they are closely related because of the way Ruby classes work. And so when we create a class or a module, we're adding both to the superclass and the lexical scope hierarchy. And mm-hmm. similarly, when you refer to a class or a superclass, you are look asking ruby to look up a constant in the lexical scope tree so they're in fact very intertwined Mm -hmm. yeah which is really cool and interesting so this week the reading for me i don't know i'm hesitating but i think (laughs) i'm gonna give it a 10 wow i i I'm still, really? I don't like that I'm not 100% confident about this, but going into this recording, I was like, oh, it's a nine or a 10. I'll see how I feel after I've discussed it. But I just think, interesting. I just think if I don't give this a 10, I don't know what I'm waiting for. And, oh, you know, that's maybe- not a good reason to give something <sighs> a 10, Nadia. That's, that's a, I reject your 10. I'm really? going to have to officially reject your 10. But yes. I guess I'm at the point when where I'm like, get- it was really Nadia. good. I can't really complain about it. So if I don't give that's it a 10. That's not a reason to give it the highest score that oh, we could possibly okay, give. Now you're, okay, fine. I'm giving it a 9. There <laughs> you go. Just, that's better. You want, me to, you want when I give my 10, I'm confident. And yes, like, yeah. I want you to be excited when you be like, oh my God, that was amazing. But That's I thought I this want. reading was really cool. Okay, fine. Pat, look, the reading was amazing. I really liked it. I would have given it a 10, but someone has bullied me into giving it a That's nine. Right. So mm-hmm. it's a nine, but it was it was really amazing. It was really up there That's with some of like, for. as a chunk of technical reading. Yes, it was very good. I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it mm, as between an eight and a nine for me. It was good good but it wasn't it didn't like tickle me the way that my other nines have tickled do you know what i mean like i wasn't like oh my goodness this is gonna be so cool. it was like okay cool it, was, it felt like a very solid continuation of what we've already been doing so yeah it's between an eight and a nine i'm probably gonna give it an eight because i feel like when i've given it a nine in the past i've been like oh my god nadia look what i learned so yeah it was very good though i really enjoyed it 
Now I'm thinking back to what you gave a 10 and wondering what made that just be so excellent then. <laughs> I don't remember which one that was. I yeah, do. I remember, being, I remember being so excited that I tweeted about it. I do remember That's what it was. Know. It was the whole singleton class and the object space. <gasps> yeah. Which, is, which has inspired my new technical talk, which Ooh. <laughs> I need to work on. But yeah. Cool. See, I'm like tickled all over again just by you mentioning it. Oh, I'm just so excited. <laughs> So we want to know, what did you think of the reading this week? Tweet us your score at Ruby Book Club and tell us how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project. See you next week. Cheerio!